Psalm 1-3 talks about a tree planted by a stream. It bears fruit and it doesn't wilt. Now the indication in the passage is that the stream somehow provides nourishment to the tree. But how does that work? I mean, the tree doesn't reach its branches down and get a drink. Well, it's through the roots. If you walk along the Maumee River, there's a lot of trees. But if you look close, the tree's roots don't go into the river. They're rooted firmly into the bank. Think back to science class. Water molecules move from a greater concentration to a lesser concentration. So from the greater concentration in the stream to the lesser in the soil. And then from those micropores in the soil to a lesser concentration in the root hairs up into the plant to nourish the plant. So the stream nourishes the tree through the soil and through the roots. It all goes back to the roots. So a couple things. For those of you that were lacking a little bit in your biology credits, we're allowing you to audit this every Sunday, and maybe you can count that toward them. Um, but thanks, Dusty. You know what else I wanted to share with you? I, this just actually just happened. See, I, I use my iPad, but I, I probably shouldn't tell you this. But, like, text messages come up. Like, if you text me right now, it'll show on my screen. So don't do that, please. I'll just preach five minutes longer if you do that. So. But uh, just... Uh, just look down, open my iPad. Dave Lutz, you brought it this morning. Great sermon. Tell Ben to, to, to step it up to keep up with you. <laughs> no. I, just wanted to, I just wanted to remind you that that's why this church is the church as it is. Right? Because we are really on the same team. And Dave and I have, uh, I don't know, he's just, we're just great friends, and uh, we encourage one another, we, uh, we're there for one another. A lot of churches, when you have a pastoral change, it's a mess. It's a mess. And um, a lot of times the guy following the one guy, man, he doesn't last but a year or two, you know. I think I'm safe to say that now that I've been here a little over two years, but. Healthy churches do it the right way, God-honoring way. And um, I don't think Dave's still watching, but uh, I just appreciate, appreciate um, being a part of something bigger, a team of, of people that just encourage and look out. And um, man, he's modeled that for you guys for years. Let's just keep modeling that, right? And let's keep doing it. Let's just continue to be healthy and uh, really, really, really really look out for one another. So, that wasn't in there, so I took another minute and I shouldn't have, but uh, just appreciate that. I just want to remind you, that's what we're built on here, is, is something bigger than us. It's about this place, about what God's going to do in this place and in our lives, and then collectively us uh, impacting a community. Deep roots, strong trees, Right? We get that. Look all around us, we get that. And the scriptures, the scriptures want us and use that illustration of physical life to help us grab a hold of spiritual realities. Deep roots, strong trees. The psalmist opens up his book by talking about 
the fact that, um, uh, you know, blessed is the man. And it goes down and says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatsoever they do prospers. What does God want to do with you and I's life? He wants to create us spiritually to be like that tree that it doesn't matter, good time, bad times, the leaf does not wither. It is a prospering, life-giving, stable tree that not only um, has the ability to to withstand and be present and be there and be faithful, but also it's life-giving and it's fruit-giving that impacts the, the, the culture, the world around it. It's why the New Testament continues that theme. Paul says, listen, so just as you've received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. And I'm just really going, I want to go fast here, but basically the idea is rooted in Christ gives me the stability, the confidence, and the power to be an effective Christ follower. Deep roots, strong trees. And God is, is desiring to make our lives like those strong trees. We talked last week about the fact that if I want to go deep with Jesus, if I want to be rooted in Jesus, if that's absolutely, I want to be like that tree planted by the river that uh, it, it, it just thrives. It, 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 it's it's um, fruitful. What, what does that entail? And we first of all looked at the idea of being rooted starts with a mindset and a reality that is understanding that This relationship with Jesus is a call of us turning from sin, selfishness, that whole disposition, and turning to Jesus Christ. It is an ongoing, he says, follow me. And I understand that if I'm going to be rooted in Christ, first of all, I need to understand that it's it's calling me to have a life-changing experience and event and mindset toward life, right? And it's really tied up in that word repentance. Repentance. John the Baptist, as he's starting the the Jesus ministry, repent, Jesus, what's he saying? Repent, Peter, preaching the first uh, sermon of the church. Repent, Paul, when he talks about all through his years of ministry in the book of Acts, he said, I called people to repent. And rooted in Jesus starts with a turning from and a turning to, a commitment to an exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. Thinking about this this week and uh, maybe just wanted to drop something down a little bit, maybe to help us grab a hold of that a little bit uh, more. So in October of this year, Nicole and I will celebrate our 15-year anniversary, right? Getting old. Just getting old. Um, 15 years, man. It's like hard for me to grab my, some of you are like, are you kidding? I'm celebrating 55 or something, you know? 15, right? And in those 15 years, I have 
belong to her and she has belonged to me. I have been enabled, and I say this because I'm trying to make a spiritual point. I have been enabled to remain faithful to her. And when I say that, it's not like, oh, it was a real struggle, you know. I don't mean that. But we can look down through 15 years of marriage, and we, have, we, have, we started by standing up on that stage and saying, forsaking all others, only unto you will I live the rest of my life, right? That was a, um, a pledge of commitment, and it has been a committed, exclusive relationship for 15 years, right? And out of that, the blessings of what that means, man, I found the person I love, but then um, walking that faithfully for 15 years, it just, you know how it goes, it just continues to get better and better. What would you think if tomorrow I got up and I walked in and as I'm going out the door, I told Nicole, I said, you know what, I know you love me and, and I love you, but you know, I'm just a guy and you know, today I'm, I'm going to, I'm probably going to, I'm going to probably flirt with some other women and um, you know, you know, maybe if the opportunity today um, presents itself, I, 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 might even, uh, I might even get intimate with other women. I'm just a guy. It's, but I love you. I love you, but what would you think of our relationship? What would you think of my love, right? Yeah. Uh, nah, right? I love it when I use this illustration because everybody's looking at me like, what in the world, you know? Come on. That's not exclusive. That's not committed. That's not love. That's why the scriptures say, God himself says, listen, friendship with the world is, is, is it's against God. He says, you are adulterers. You are adulteresses when you are not in exclusive, committed relationship with me. And that's what repentance is. It's a turning from and a turning to him. I'm yours. I belong to you. Now, to carry this out a little bit farther, which marriage is the number one illustration of our relationship with Jesus in the New Testament. It is. He uses marriage. So that's an appropriate illustration. Have I? I I'm exclusively Nicole's, right? We, are, we belong to one another. I belong to her. How many of you would say I have lived perfectly in my relationship toward her? I get no confidence. I've been the perfect husband. I've always understood what her needs were. I've always picked up on the cues. I've always done. Come on. Right? And although I belong to her and I'm faithful to her, we are exclusively committed. It's obvious any of you who have ever been married know that there is not perfection in the marriage. Right? And I would say that repentance is, yes, I am now exclusively Jesus's. But Understanding how to have that relationship with him, it takes some time, obviously. It takes some learning. 
What's unbelievable about this relationship different than Nicole? Nicole and I are both flawed human beings. In a relationship with Jesus, we are in relationship with a perfect, perfect one who always gets it right, always knows, always has uh, what we need. He, okay, so we're in that relationship. But on our side, it's like, I, I, I am yours, I'm committed to you, but that doesn't mean that I don't live uh, learning and growing and making mistakes and, okay? Repentance calls me for a disposition now that I am yours and then as I walk with you and I begin to realize, wow, the way I think about that, that isn't even close to how God wants me to think or the way I'm acting here, that's not even close to Christ. Like, Lord, help me, I'm turning. What I am doing is my whole bent and my disposition is now turning to being exclusively his. And that's what starting out a rooted relationship calls us to, is an exclusivity to Jesus Christ. Repentance, a turning from, a turning to. Now, what I want to share with you this morning is what I consider to be the most hopeful, the most important message that the church could ever give. It's what makes... Christians different than the rest of the world. It's what makes Christianity different than the rest of religion, and it's what makes us as people have a different mindset than all of the philosophies and systems of the world we live in. You see, if you're like me, you know in your relationship with God that um, you quickly found out, or you know, and this is what I really want to just sit on us, I can desire to follow God. I can want to experience that forgiveness and pardon. I can want to have a new life with, in Christ. The eat my sins for east is from the west. This, this new life, a new start. I, I, can, I can desire all that, but there is nothing that I am able to do to make that happen. And you know what? Then he calls me into an exclusive relationship with him. And there is nothing I can do to pull that off. You and I are not able. We are not able to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Should I just say amen and let you go? Some of you are looking at me like, this guy. We can't do it. We are unable. The message of the gospel, and what I want to try to walk you through with Jesus, and then is that we, we do not have the ability to shake ourselves free from our sinful condition and sinful fallen nature. We can desire, Paul talks about it, I desire to be that man, but I cannot get it. I, I, I go that way and then I'm sucked back in by my self-centered nature. And I'm never able to do what I'm supposed to do, be who I'm supposed to be. And I would tell you that that is exactly true. And the message of the Christian gospel is this, you can not. See, the religions of the world are telling you, if you'll just try a little harder, if you'll just do this, 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 and this, if you'll just dig a little deeper, if you'll just make a little more penance here and there or something like that, maybe you'll, you, you, 
You, you, you. The philosophies and the systems of this world are saying the same thing. It's on you. You make your way. You just do better than the person next to you. You, it's kind of like, hey, you hear this all the time. I've done more good than bad. So I'm, you just make sure that you do a few more good things than bad things. You, 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 you. And the gospel says, you can't. And that's what we need to absolutely embrace, being rooted in Jesus Christ All right, you're calling me to exclusive. I want to do that. I want to be that. Now, how does that happen? Because I realize I can't. I cannot break sin's power in my life. Not able. The gospel is about something far bigger. You can't, but he did and he does. See, the gospel is God power, not will God power, not willpower. And every Sunday we come together. We sing about a God who in his nature is glorious and great and worthy of our reverence and awe. We see him as the creator, as the one who sustains life. We, we grab a hold of that and we worship him for who he is, for what we can comprehend about who he is. He's even bigger than our comprehension. But we also are always worshiping the fact that this is a God who not only came into our world to take our place, to bear our sin and shame, to provide for our salvation, but he is a God whose gospel is so complete that he calls us to this new life and then he does something about what enables us to live this new life. I mean, he does, he just does it all. He's just unbelievably gracious. And that's what I want to walk us through today. If the question is, what is a Christian last week? It's a follower of Jesus. It's an exclusive relationship with Jesus. How does that happen is the question we want to answer this week. And so let's just walk through that because you'll see quickly in John chapter 14, Jesus, Last Supper, going to the cross the next day, needing to share important things with his disciples. He begins to talk about this thing. He says, if you love me, Keep my commands. Again, exclusive relationship. What is love? Love is action, right? Love is more than just I feel. It's I follow, you know, I do what's best. If you love me, keep my commands. That's another sermon. I will ask the Father and he will give you what? I'm calling you to love me, but I know you're not gonna be able to keep my commands. But you know what? I'm gonna do something about it. I will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. It doesn't, neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and the promise is in a few days he is going to live in you. I have spoken this while still with you, but the advocate The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And then he keeps talking in chapter 14 and chapter 15 and chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 13. Jesus spoke a long time too. Anyway, you guys are not with me. I might as well hang it up right now. You know, anyway, Paul put people to sleep last week. Jesus speaks a long time, five chapters. I'm okay, right? But in 16, he comes back to it. 
He's trying to share this. He says, I will, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. What? Jesus? It's good that you leave? Why? Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He is beginning to share with them, listen, the big deal, the promise of the Father, the biggest thing that I wanted to do in your lives was not stick around as one man. I am ascending to the Father so that he can do what has always been intended for all of us, which is the most hopeful, greatest thing we could ever experience, and that is the Holy Spirit to be shed out all over this world. He says, listen, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to take your place. But in doing that, and as I'm killed, the temple veil is going to be rent in two. And that place where the, holy, the holiest of holies, where God's presence dwelt, that is no longer the deal anymore. He says, I am going to send the Holy Spirit. And then as you open the books of, book of Acts, that's us, right? Um, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. I would say our story is chapter 29. We're still the church living out the acts of Jesus Christ. The first 28 are the acts of the apostles. We are to be the acts of Jesus Christ through his church. What is he doing? Well, we quickly see that right up front, what is the church about? What is this Jesus has left? What's gonna happen? How do we get all this? He says, listen, in chapter one of, uh, of Acts, he says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised biggest promise in all of scripture all the promises you and I hold on to believe in trust in the biggest promise the promise of the father is this which you have heard me speak about John baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the othermost ends of the earth and so what is this all about? It's about him sending his Holy Spirit into our lives. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God because it considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Saying, listen, without the Spirit of God, everything that goes on in this world and what Jesus did and who he is makes no sense. The Spirit is the one who turns on our lights that helps us to understand. It's, it's, he keeps writing chapter three. He says this, don't you, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. And what I'm trying to establish in our minds once again is this whole idea of being rooted in Jesus and following Jesus and being a, a, a stable, confident, fruitful Christ follower is rooted in this idea 
of the person of the Holy Spirit in my life. We do not call you to religion. We do not call you to uh, you do this. The call is open your heart and life to the Holy Spirit. Are you with me so far? Okay. That helps me. I'm going to go faster, okay? But how does this happen? What's involved with this? I see Chip, and I know from my own personal experience, I can want to be a Christ follower, but I can't do it. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried to follow the commandments. I've tried to do this. and I just look at my life, and I realize, nothing. So you're telling me that the dynamic of all this is about the Holy Spirit. How does that work? Well, Jesus introduced us early in his ministry to what happens. Remember, he meets with Nicodemus, that religious leader, and Nicodemus asks him, what's this all about? And Jesus says this, I truly tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You and I are called to a rebirth, to be born again, to be born anew. We have our physical birth, but in our physical birth, our lives as we inherit the sinful nature from Adam, the fallen nature of this world, we live dominated and enslaved to our own selfishness and sinful nature. And we are caught, and we can do nothing about it. No good works, no whatever, uh, um, uh, you know, self uh, improvement will ever, ever, ever break us free from sin's power. And Jesus said that what needs to happen in you and I's lives is the Holy Spirit needs to come in. And when that happens, it is this being born again, being born anew of the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul says. He saved us. In Titus chapter three, he says, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy, he saved us. How did he do that? Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is how this whole dynamic starts. If you are wanting to be a Christ follower, if you are wanting your life to experience the love and the joy and the peace that God himself offers for you to be a centered, whole, healthy, uh, reconciled, renewed, restored person, if that is what you want your life to be and then out of that the outflow of purpose and meaning and effectiveness and just the life of that, that, that's dominated by peace and joy, then it starts with you and I opening our hearts up to the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's through confession of our sin. God, I'm sorry, forgive me. Um, I realize that I'm a sinner. But what I need is thank you for your forgiveness on the cross. But what I need is your Holy Spirit to now come into my life. That's what makes this all possible. We would actually say, here's a little a little theology quick trip but when we you and I are saved three things are happening one is we're justified when we accept Jesus work on the cross when we say you paid the penalty for my sins 
And now because you stood in my place, I am acquitted of all of my wrongful acts. I am justified before God. It's as if I've never sinned because he took my punishment in my place. I'm justified and we feel that peace and, and we feel that, right? When we're forgiven, there's nothing like being forgiven of what we've done. But in that moment, we believe, and this is why we teach our kids, invite Jesus into your heart. That in that moment, when we cry out for forgiveness, we're forgiven, but then he comes into our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what starts this whole thing in motion. We also believe that we're adopted into the family of God. We have become now his, chil- his child, and we are uh, uh, heirs, fellow heirs with one another, and joint heirs with Jesus and all that God has. We are born again. We are renewed. This, okay, I need the Holy Spirit. Where does it start? It starts in a birth. And I would ask you today, do you know what it is to have been born from above, to be born anew, to know what it is to have the Holy Spirit come into your life? Ephesians says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. It starts with the birth. Then we read through the scriptures, what does that mean? Well, Ephesians chapter one would say this, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You and I are born and we are sealed. What does that mean? What is a seal Well, as he's writing that, he's thinking about what that means for them. Um, And a seal in that day, it first of all meant something that was secure. Think about uh, when Jesus was put in the tomb and they rolled the stone in front of it and it says Pilate sealed the tomb, right? What that was, was listen, I am through the power of Rome sealing this tomb, And the only thing that should break this seal would be something greater than Rome. Now, on that day, there was nothing greater than Rome. And so that seal was a symbol of security. Rome had put its seal on that. There is nothing that should touch that. Now, we know that there is one greater power than Rome, and that's Jesus Christ. He broke that seal. But a seal is a sign, it's a symbol of security. And the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in me is a seal of security. When you became a Christian, God puts his Holy Spirit in you. He stamps you with his signet, which is the Holy Spirit, and says, this is secure. No one can ever touch this life unless he has a higher authority than Almighty God. And there is none. The seal, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit and his presence in your life is a symbol of security. It's why Paul would write, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And the Holy Spirit brings into our life a sense of security. I am God's and there is nothing in this world and there is no person in this world and there is no, what is it that we sing, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever, it's what Jesus is talking about, can ever pluck me from his hand. We are, the presence of the Holy Spirit gives us security. We are His. The presence of the Holy Spirit, though, in that He's a seal, is the idea of authenticity. When a king would seal a letter, it's like when you give that to them, they will know that it's the genuine thing. It's real. It's from the king. And the idea of seal is you and I can know through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that this is genuine, this is real. And we can actually believe and know that the almighty God loves us and we're his child. We're his. And this is real. It's authentic. The last thing is that the seal would also, it carried with it authority, right? If the king sealed it, whatever it said, it carried with it all the wishes and privileges and rights of the king. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life gives us the the authority over Everything in our lives, the darkness, the fears, the anxiety, the Holy Spirit comes and authority speaks over that and we live with a certain amount of authority, authority from him. But if you were to keep reading there, if you go back, Ryan, to that, it says that, um, <clears throat> go back one more, Sorry. When you believed, you were marked in in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the promised Holy Spirit? A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So he's all those things. But he also, this word is down payment. (laughs) I promised you, what did he say? Peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. Peace not as the world gives I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, right? The promise of eternity. How do I know? Well, the Holy Spirit in my life is the down payment on that promise. The house that's in heaven for you, the Holy Spirit's the down payment on that. (laughs) That's how you know. It's what he is. It's also the word they use for engagement ring. It's the engagement ring. You know, we're categorized in the scripture as the bride of Christ. He's coming back for his bride, right? To go to the what? The marriage supper of the lamb. How do I know? I'm engaged to him. The Holy Spirit is the, it's like, you know, when ladies, when you get that engagement ring, it's like, yeah, I'm theirs. I'm promised to them. It's happening, Right? The Holy Spirit is the engagement ring of what is to come. The promise of that marriage, the bride of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's who we have in him. We have security. We can know it's genuine, it's real. This is is legit. We can have authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can have confidence that because he's in my life, this is what is to come through eternity. The presence, the power of the Holy Spirit is what makes all that real. But if you were to keep reading in Scripture, you realize that you and I live day in and day out, day in and day out. 
And you would realize that our lives are constantly a series of choices every day. The Spirit's what makes the difference. The Spirit's what I need. The Spirit's the only way I can turn from and turn to. The Spirit, when He comes into my life, brings all these kind of, uh, can I say it, this kind of sounds a little superficial, but perks. Brings everything. But as Romans chapter 8 um, and verse uh, 6 would say, keep going, would say this, the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. He begins to introduce this day-to-day reality that all of us live with. I've invited the Spirit into my life. I realize that I need the Spirit. The only way this happens is the Holy Spirit in me. But every day I'm making decisions. Every day. It's what in Galatians he begins to talk about when he says this. So I say walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to flesh, they are in conflict with one another so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And we already know this, right? Chip, I get what you're saying. The Holy Spirit's what makes it real. But I struggle Flash spirit, flash spirit, flash spirit, flash spirit. Oh, don't look at me like I got three eyes. You struggle, I know. It's the struggle of every man. And he who gave the spirit, who, he who provided for our salvation and gives us the power to make it real, is perfectly in, perfect in his knowledge, knows that you and I are going to encounter the day-to-day How do I live, walk in the Spirit, and I, right? And I believe that's why he begins to write further for us to understand. You see, the book of Ephesians, I I think of Ephesians this way. The first three chapters, it's what God has done for you in Jesus. It's this possession of Jesus Christ. In my mind, I like to think of it as the most exotic car I would ever want. I always wanted to drive a Lamborghini, right? I've always wanted to drive a Lamborghini. That's chapters one, two, three of Ephesians. This is what you have in Jesus Christ, this unbelievable possession. Chapters four, five, and six is this is the road you're going to take. This is the life that God has for you. This is the path. This is, you're going to take this unbelievable possession and you're going to be able to drive on this unbelievable life. For me, it's like I always wanted to go to the Swiss Alps. So I would love to drive a Lamborghini in the Swiss Alps. Anybody pull that off for me? You know what I want now, right? Possession and destination, right? This is, this is kind of Ephesians. 
This is what you have, and this is the, the life I want to take you on. If you'll follow me, I will bless you unbelievably. The thing you need is what? You got to have fuel. You got to have fuel. You can't run the possession God has for, and you can't see the life He's planned, the, the destination, without fuel in the tank, right? That's why I think in chapter 5, he, he helps us to understand what that fuel is. When he says these words, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul's not even talking about alcohol here, or drinking, or kind of a, it's a ran, it's, it's an illustrative point. It's a contrast Okay, What he's wanting to do is say, hey, listen, you know when you get drunk, you become captive to that spirit, right? We call those spirits. You are under the control of those spirits, correct? You ever been drunk? I guess I probably shouldn't admit that. Yeah, when I was drunk, I wasn't chip. I was drunk chip, right? I do stupid things. I did stupid things, sorry. (laughs) Whoa, what's going on over there? No more drunkenness in my life, okay? But when I was, okay? He's saying, hey, listen, you know how the, the wine influences your whole life it determines what you do then (laughs) he said allow yourselves to be filled with the spirit this word filled is an interesting word now to understand this verse you'd have to understand that it's written in a passive voice it's be filled with the spirit in a passive voice it's Something is filling you. You are not able to fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. You're not going to wake up today and say, I'm going to fill myself with the Spirit. I'm going to, I'm going to do it today. Good luck with that. You are not filling. He is filling. You are passive. It's acting on you. The other thing, it's in the present tense. So it's be continually being filled. This isn't a one-time thing. I've heard preachers say crazy things like, you got filled with the Spirit, June 23rd, 1978. No. I hope you got filled with the Spirit, June 23rd, 1978. And then I hope you kept being filled with the Spirit. Right? We've kind of all met those people. who I got saved 50 years ago. Now my life doesn't look like it, but I got saved. You know. Anyway, that's a detour. <laughs> it's a detour, but... It's be continually being filled with the Spirit. This word filled is the idea of, one of the ideas with this word is, it's like a sailboat sitting in the water and the wind coming along and filling the sail of the sailboat, right? The sailboat's doing nothing. It's sitting there in the water. Oh, it's maybe going toward the shore. It's kind of going backwards, right? Not going where you want 
When the wind comes, it fills the sails and it moves the boat to where it's supposed to be. Be filled with the Spirit. Allow your life to be like that sail that's moved along by the energy and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the word for permeate, too. It's like if I had a glass of water up here and I dropped an Alka-Seltzer tablet in. All of a sudden, the water would just be permeated with that. It's be permeated. Allow your life to be permeated, filled with the Holy Spirit. But really, the primary meaning for this word is what the contrast is. It's to be filled, it's to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's as the wine controls you, now allow the Spirit to control your life. You read in the Gospels, something bad happens and you read that the disciples uh, were filled with sorrow right? What does that mean right at that moment? Sorrow controlled every part of their life. It dictated everything about their life. They were filled with sorrow. That's what it means, filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. You see, what God calls us to is a life energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can't. Good luck. Invite him in. Be born from him. Realize all that that means with the security and the authenticity and the authority that he brings into your life and the promise of heaven. He's the down payment. But how does this work in my day-to-day life? Because I get when he comes in, wow! But I, uh, the flesh and the spirit war against one another and the scriptures pay it all off when it says, well, I tell you what, you want to live in the Spirit? Go ahead and be filled with the Spirit. Or give over control of your life to the Spirit. Allow your will, allow your will, settle it deep down within you that I am going to follow the Holy Spirit day in and day out. He does that through the reading of his word. His Spirit inspired the word. It is the Holy Spirit talking to you, his word. Filling my mind with the word. It's when he's speaking to me, when he's, maybe he's, he's convicting me of something, he's showing me something. He's, oftentimes he's the advocate. He, he, is, he is comforting me in my anxiety and my fear. And I allow his comfort to chase away those things. I allow what he's talking to me about. I say, you know what, Lord? You're right. This, this behavior is detrimental. This thing is detrimental. In my, I get it, Lord. I'm with you. It's gone. I'm open. I'm being led by you. That's what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in being filled with the Spirit, now we are enabled, not perfectly, but as a pattern of our life to walk through the power of his Holy Spirit. And when he does that, we can read in Galatians um, chapter five, the fruit of the spirits begin to exhibit themselves in our lives. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, no, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have what? They've surrendered control and they live by the Spirit. And he says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And in that, 
the Holy Spirit begins to remodel us. He remodels our relationship with God. Now, our relationship with God through the Spirit is one that is full of love and joy and peace. He remodels our relationship with others. Now we can live with a sense of patience and kindness and goodness. And he reconciles. He remodels our relationship even with ourselves. Through the power of the Spirit, we are faithful. We are gentle. We have self-control. That's what he wants to do. That's what this whole gospel is about. It's about a God who loved us enough to take our place, but it's about a God who loves us enough to not allow us to stay where we're at, broken and lost and struggling along. But he says, listen, my whole, my whole desire has always been you, my son, and you, my daughter, is to take your lives and to begin to form in you the image of Jesus Christ so that in John it's true that when we see him, the process will be completed, we will be like him. I want you to look like Jesus. That's how what I created you to be. And how I'm gonna do that is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. What a hopeful message. I can't pull this off, but I don't have to. I just need to day in and day out allow the Holy Spirit to lead, energize, direct, guide, empower my life. And so this is the call. It probably should be the call every Sunday. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Is today a day that you've just trusted in and leaned on the power of the Holy Spirit? You cannot, you cannot be who you're supposed to be unless the Holy Spirit is in you. And I invite you to stand this morning as we leave. I just want us to sing together this. Maybe for some of you, it's just a great reminder because the devil, the enemy of our soul is always tricking us into trying to rely on our own strength in our own wisdom figure things out. Just do it on our own. So often we believe that God saves us and now we have to change ourselves. It's never been. It's just a good reminder, Lord, I just wanna rest in the power of your Holy Spirit. I surrender my life to your control. I allow myself to be led by you. Maybe for some of you, it's the first time you've ever entertained these thoughts. You thought being a Christian was just, uh, you know, showing up here on Sundays and, and doing some good things and just trying to follow a moral code or follow the teachings of Jesus and all those things are, hey, that's what we do. But it's only, we are only able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would invite you, if you don't know what this is, would you just simply open your heart up? Say, Lord, I see in your word that I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you will start opening your heart to the Holy Spirit, he will lead you, he will guide you. As you open his word, which is a, a big part of the Holy Spirit talking to you, he will show you exactly, exactly what he wants to do in your life. Can we all sing this together? Just as a way of once again affirming, or maybe for the first time, saying, that's what I want. That's what this is all about. Would you sing this morning?
sing this together. Spirit in God. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. We only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. The Spirit of the living God. Spirit of living God, we want to know you more and more. We're hanging on every word. We invite you in. Spirit of living God, Spirit of living God, we only want to hear your voice, we're hanging on every word, Spirit of living God, Spirit of living God, we want to know you more and more, we're hanging on every word, cause when you speak, and when you move, when you do, but only can do. It changes us. It changes what we see. What we see when you come in the room. When you do what only you can do. It changes us. It changes what we see.
allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, to move you, to lead you this week. Father, guide us. And crucified with Christ is no longer we who live, but Christ in us. So we live that out this week and every week. May we be the light of the world, shining through us, God, is your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Be the light.